Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Monday, the 24th of uh, September, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reid on LMFM. It's 21 months since local Fine Gael TD Fergus O'Dowd first discovered that he was overcharged at the M1 motorway toll. On investigation, it turned out that a total of 1,500 motorists had been overcharged between April and December of 2007. Electronic payment tag holders who left the motorway for less than three hours before resuming their journeys should not have been subject to a second charge on returning to the motorway. But this did happen and it resulted in the Celtic Roads Group overcharging on over 2,000 transactions resulting in them wrongly collecting €6,000. Fergus O'Dowd is with me this morning and we're almost two years on since uh, that error had been uh, discovered and two reports into what happened have been published. Yes, that's right, Michael. In fact, it was public complaints. Two people complained to me last December. I brought it to to the attention of Transport Infrastructure who franchise out the toll and I got this, these two documents last Friday uh, evening at about 5.30. So I haven't had an opportunity to talk to TI. Uh, you're the first person I've spoken to about it. And I think the key point is that it did happen, that there were at least five different causes for it, that they don't really know what happened, uh, and that if they had to have run their organisation more efficiently and more effectively, they could have addressed this issue much earlier. And I think they're the key findings. But the seen. reports do find the Celtics Road Group to be compliant uh, and yep. seem to uh, look on what happened uh, as being relatively minor. It, it was a, a mistake. Yeah. It, well, I mean, that's, that, that, that's one view. I, I have a different view, and the view I have is that the credibility, the integrity of the tolling system, which is obviously extremely controversial anyway, has to be absolutely 100% right. And the fact is that they could have addressed this issue earlier, and they didn't. Mm. And I think that's a key finding that, that I would be very concerned about. But we all um, make mistakes, <coughs> don't we? And God knows technology can let us down and machines can well, be the, wrong. Well, this is the point. The technology wasn't fit for purpose. Mm. And, and, and when the fact the they didn't were... test it. And the, the other point, what they, what they say here, uh, first of all, that there was no single root cause uh, mm. 
they stated that all charging errors have been corrected, which is what you say, and the absence of further faults should be confirmed by more rigorous testing. Based on the evidence, the authority considered the overcharging could have been discovered and corrected earlier through routine computation of their databases. So they weren't alert to the fact that something could or would go wrong, and they didn't do their job, and I think that's hugely important. Uh, they also said that that there were logs, that see, that's the Celtic Road groups. Uh, we understand that they were not provided with logs, which actually recorded the discovery and rectification, uh, sorry, and rectification of faults mm. during the commissioning period. So the people who, who were contracted to them did actually know and did correct faults, but didn't tell them about it. So I think that's serious as well, because the, the credibility of the whole system is that uh, it was brought into testing uh, in the cases of the ramp lanes, that faults were present during commissioning and after toll lanes were brought into service mm. when all affected vehicles were uh, affected for extended periods. So I think they're, they're serious issues. Okay, but you don't yeah. think that there was anything done intentionally? Oh, no, this mm. is purely... Yeah. No, no, this mm. is a systems error. This yeah. is a, a, and an a logarithm error. It's an error, mm. uh, obviously, which would have gone on, which went on for nine months before they even they knew mm. that it was happening. But it, but it was going on. But it, yeah. it, isn't that the point? They didn't know <clears> it was happening when they discovered it was happening, they rectified the problem, yes, yeah. and they'll probably learn a lesson. From oh, they certainly will learn a lesson, yeah, because they have been subject to to a fine, and obviously, clearly, there are also there's an also an internal a recommendation I think is very significant, um, and it says, if I can quote it, uh, where internal orders are undertaken. Uh, this would be by TII, and recommendations made are confirmed as implemented based on assurances provided by a third party, uh, TII should seek evidence to confirm implementation from that third party. Mm. So obviously they were given uh, assurances, uh, obviously, which which weren't accurate. Are you satisfied now? I'm not satisfied, no, not at all, no. Or not because uh, what we have to do now is to make sure I have to meet with TII, first of all, Michael, to talk about this and to go through what other issues might arise or might have arisen. Uh, but I think what is very important is that the mistake has been corrected and that they're now much more alert to the issue than they were before Before I contacted them. Yeah, and do you believe that this can happen again? Well, I don't know, you see, that's, that's mm. the point. But isn't that uh, the purpose the of the reports and they make recommendations <coughs> yeah, to, make sure. to make sure that it doesn't it, it happen is, again? It is, Michael. It is, of course, yes. And I want to be assured that that is the case and that the recommendations which have been made are, in fact, or have been carried out. Uh, these go back in one to last February and to last May. Mm. Uh, but what <clears throat> questions have you got this morning? I, I mean, you've got well, the, the reports that have looked sure. at, at the yeah. problem and recommended how to prevent it from yes, reoccurring. Yeah, so yeah, what yeah. questions have you got? Well, the questions case? basically are the, the, the false were... Uh, the wrong time sequence, right? Mm. Uh, problems with dates, entry and exit too close, wrong direction. Mm. Uh, you know, when people but are, are being you, charged. Yes, uh, but are you satisfied that these reports will bring about a, an end to those type of mistakes? Well, I think certainly they brought, they've identified mm. what the mistakes are. And, and recommended to what to do to yes, stop Michael, them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mm. yes, absolutely. So are you satisfied? Well, I, I've just read it, like yourself, mm. you know. I thought you'd be happy to, to share this mm-hmm. information with mm-hmm. you. And that's exactly what I'm doing. And mm-hmm. uh, as soon as this finishes conversation I'll be on to, to TII. Mm-hmm. I think that's 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 a good thing for me to do. Okay. And to ask what of them? Well to to go through the report with them, the recommendations and to maybe follow up with a visit uh, to actually to the toll to see what is actually happening there mm. and to, to see at 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 first hand exactly what's going on. Okay. All right. So you have some concerns I take it then? I have Michael, yes, yeah of course I have mm-hmm. yeah. <clears throat>
And what is it that you're concerned about? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, Mark, I don't understand your question. No, uh, I, I don't understand what you're concerned uh, about because we have the report's recommendations uh, and presumably the roadmap to prevent this from reoccurring. That's what I want to look at and that's what you, to be assured of, you, yeah. You, you the, other, the other issue that, that has arisen, you, you, uh, the other issue that has arisen is that, that there are some issues about vehicles uh, being going in as an ambulance and being measured as as another as another vehicle and so on. So they're they're the issues. Okay, so I think it's right. I should go. Mm. Do, you, do you not think I should? Oh no, absolutely. I do not I think it's a role that I should do. Ha- haven't discovered <laughs> this that this is a positive thing to do. Oh yes, but I've yeah, and that we're standing up for the rights of people not to be overcharged. Mm. Uh, I think that's a good thing, Michael, and I'm happy to do that. Very good. I'm just asking yeah, what yeah. questions there are at yeah, this no, stage no. so that uh, yeah. if people should be concerned or not. Uh, the issue that you raised... Well, I, well, I would be concerned. Of course I'm concerned, and people are concerned because mm. tolling is such a hugely mm. controversial issue. Oh, very much so. Uh, and, and I think it's important. I think the most important message I can give to, to your listeners today is that if you use an electronic tag, mm. you should always check your account because the problem is that, as you say, of the 2,000 vehicle movements that went through the, the toll and were incorrectly charged. Mm. It was only two people who actually complained about it because there were two people who looked and found out that they were overcharged. Okay, and some of the classification errors that you talk about result yeah. in a, a loss for Celtic Road Groups and other toll operators because you have the likes of commercial vehicles going through as private vehicles and That's they're not correct, paying, yes, pay, yeah. paying the right rate. And and what they say, they, they have percentages there and it's something I wasn't aware of what was mm. happening. I think sometimes, obviously, people would have a toll tag from a company which might be technically different, but there may be other people who are using them and actually uh, knowingly uh, knowingly paying a cheaper rate and mm. that's the first mention I've had of that and that's an issue I certainly would be raising with them as well Michael yes yeah. Okay very good uh, big week in uh, the doll this week uh, not too often I suppose uh, that there is a motion of no confidence in a, a <coughs> government minister will you be sure. supporting Owen Murphy? Of course I will absolutely mm-hmm. yes mm. yeah the vote will take place tomorrow night I think around about 10pm yes I will of course be supporting him Mm-hmm. You think he's doing a good job? I think he's doing an excellent job. I think the issue here is how can we build more houses? How can we build them more quickly? Mm. And I think that the fact that there is a, a much more attention nationally to this issue uh, and more accountability as well in the doll and in this debate that the mm. facts and the figures will be put before the public and, and they'll make up their minds. And you expect the vote <coughs> to be defeated, I'm sure. I think that's a general well, that's expectation. That's up to Fianna Fáil, well, basically. That is the point uh, that I was yeah. coming to, because yeah. if Fianna yeah. Fáil voted in favour of the motion uh, and the House expressed no confidence in the Minister, that would result in the termination of yeah. the confidence It, it would mean a general election. Yeah. But it is, it is proper that there is this focus and there is this debate on housing absolutely that is hugely important in fact I attended a conference in Dundalk on Friday where we addressed all of these issues and I think uh, the point what I pointed out then excuse me I'm slightly hoarse Michael <coughs> if I get the opportunity to speak in this motion it mm. may not happen because it's in it's in the it's in the Sinn Féin time uh, that what is happening in County Law that over 92 houses now have been taken empty homes have been taken over by the County Council and in the process of being occupied 
occupied, I think, at an average cost of 100,000 per home. I think that's hugely important nationally. There could be thousands of more homes delivered if what is happening is in County Loud happened right around the country, and I think that would be a good thing. I think that's an opportunity to make that point. I think that the question of, personally, I believe in a, an empty homes tax. Uh, that's my personal view. I believe, particularly in rent pressure zones, if the empty home is not your principal private residence, <coughs> or that, and if you're not in the hospital, I think that that should be, yes, I think you should be subject to tax if you don't bring it into, into use. Okay. I think that they're good points. All right, very good. Thank you for coming into us uh, this morning. <coughs> Thank, Thank you, Mike. Thanks Finnegale for having TD. me on. You're very good. Thank, Thank you, Finnegan CD, for Loud Fergus Adult. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. As you heard last week on LMFM's news, Finnefall councillor Emma Coffey has told Louth County Council that illegal dumping is being ignored along the border counties. And Emma Coffey is on the line. And good morning to you. Have you some examples of when? stuff has been dumped and ignored, as you put it. Yeah, well, I, what I would say is the, the, the most recent one, uh, Micah, would have been the 400 tyres that would have been dumped in July uh, at the old customs uh, point in uh, Ravensdale, uh, where it was left over the weekend. And unfortunately, during that time, it was actually set fire uh, by vandals, which obviously, thanks to the to the uh, fire services, it, nothing, nobody was injured or no serious substantial serious damage was caused. But, I mean, every month we get a report on diesel laundering waste being dumped. And, I mean, just this month alone, on August 18, uh, six bricks of diesel sludge was recovered at a cost of €7,000. Um, and every month we can we can uh, we have a report of at least, uh, if, more, if not more, but at least a number of brick sludge being recovered. Uh, at the moment, I have calculated that the cost of recovering those diesel sludge uh, bricks is approximately 60,000 this year alone. Uh, last year, Laos had the highest um, cost, which is centrally funded, but the highest cost to the taxpayer of clean, cleaning diesel sludge, followed by Donegal. And I'm sure I haven't got the figures for Monaghan and, and Cavan, but I would also say that they were. it's not coincidental that these are along the border uh, and it's hard to man them. And at a time, I think, when a lot of people were expecting that fuel laundering uh, was becoming a thing of the past. But is it that dumping is being ignored or is it that more could be done to prevent it from being dumped? Well, I think, look, I don't think it's been ignored. I think the the organisations are trying to do the best they can. It was indicated uh, that there is cooperation between uh, both revenue uh, in the north and the south and also between the county councils. Mm. But it seems to be on an ad hoc basis. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a national plan in respect of this. And it appears to be, well, it's, it's happening at these locations, it's happening at these hotspots, and we'll, 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 we'll deal with it as we see fit. But I believe that this is not something that can be just ignored or dealt with on that basis. There needs mm. to be a national plan uh, that has teeth to tackle the, the scourge once. Perhaps so, but as things stand, it, it would seem a little unfair to me, at least, uh, to be critical of it taking a weekend to remove hundreds of tyres from Ravensdale. I mean, you have well, to I gave, I gave you That was one example. Mm. But for instance, there was 32 uh, diesel brick, sludge bricks, um, basically, in February 
uh, that had a cost of, of close to 30, sorry, it was 55 bricks that had a cost of 32,000. There was also an incident in 2016 when mm. there was a thousand tonnes of uh, material that was found near the Fane River. Um, these, the, the, I am not, these are commercially based dumped ma- matters. I'm not talking about domestic waste. I am talking about criminal activity that basically tires of 400 material. Mm. Now, it's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not pointing the finger at the officials who are trying to, to cope with this, but there is a responsibility by uh, the organisations or the, or, the, or the people who are involved in the dumping that it is causing a scourge, not just to the, a strain to the public services and cleaning well, the but also to the community. Surely you're not uh, appealing to fuel launderers to act responsibly, are you? No, but what I am appealing to is that this needs to be tackled from a national perspective, Michael. I mean, it doesn't appear that we have any... Like, there, there, the, the indication I got at the council was, yes, we, we, we are trying to be, you know, cooperating on both sides with CCTV and monitoring certain areas where it appears to be hotspots, but there doesn't appear to be a national plan. And, and, and it's no coincidence, Michael, you and I know that this is a... This is a most places is taken along the border areas and I, I on both sides. So, I mean, it's not a case of every weekend or every week and every month I get reports of where clean-up costs are, are, are taking place. And as I say, the figure of 60,000 this year alone, and we're not near the end of the year, um, is staggering. And, mm. and the figure of last year was Lyle had the highest clean-up cost of this type of, of clean-up. It's commercial waste. And it's something, you know, given that environmental issues seem to be at the forefront our weather changes and everything this is another damage on our environment and our communities that I feel that there needs to be a national plan to tackle it and, and really have teeth in it and a coordinated effort in respect of it. In what sense to have cameras on every blade of grass? Well I don't look I mean I'm a CCTV would would uh, be of help but I mean you know we're, we're realists in this that's mm. not going to cover everything in respect of it but as, as I say to you it doesn't appear to be uh, there seems to be localised coordination in regard Okay to but when you talk a, about a, a national plan uh, what should that entail what suggestions have you got in terms of clamping down on this type of dumping Well I mean well Obviously, you know, there has to be a coordinated in, in, uh, uh, plan in relation to the EPA. Um, there, at the EPA is only managed at the moment by 13 uh, members in respect of it, and that's not even covering what it's remit to do at the moment. But I do think the EPA has a role there and, and it could be extended in relation to enforcement issues in this area. Mm. Uh, with coordinated effort, obviously, from, from our, the authorities in the Northern Ireland in respect of it. Uh, I, I understand that there, there is coordinated efforts from the, both sides in regards to the policing and also to the revenue uh, revenue on both sides. But again, it, it would appear to me that it, these are obviously on a localised issue, mm. localised basis. And Do you think the authorities are turning a blind eye to some of these operations? Uh, because, uh, I mean, we're not talking about people who are going on with this type of business in Wales or something and then dumping their rubbish uh, over on the island of Ireland. They're going north and south of the border, perhaps, uh, and perhaps they're dumping in one jurisdiction what they produce in a different one, but not always the case. And they are quite often members of our own community, and they are certainly known to members of our own community. And it probably follows that their activities are known to the authorities to some degree. 
think they're turning a blind eye. I think if there's a difficulty in, in, in actually, uh, ca- suppose, I suppose the term of catching them in the act, um, in, because obviously, you know, dumping of such material, it's not going to happen during the day mm. or during populated times. Uh, of, but of when you talk about a, a coordinated approach, surely that's the starting point. If they know what they're doing, surely then they should coordinate, the authorities should coordinate themselves uh, to catching them in the act, as you put it. Yeah, I, I, and I would agree with you that, as I said to you, it doesn't appear to me that there is a... Nat- there's a localised uh, sort of concerted effort, uh, I understand, at the moment from speaking to, to the council between Newry Morn and, and Loud County Council, the revenue and the local police force on either side of the border. But there doesn't appear to be any national coordinated effort in respect of this. I don't accept that this has been ignored. I do accept, I, I do take the issue that it isn't been given the recognition and the public front that it should. I mean, in, every month, every month, Michael, we are having uh, cost figures put, put to us in regard to such laundering waste and diesel clean-up. And ultimately, this is the taxpayer that's putting this bill. Um, and it's causing, a, you know, it's causing a cost people, taxpayers, not just on the border, but nationally, because this is coming from centrally fund uh, monies, the cost of this cleanup. Um, so it, it's something I believe that it's not been given a focus uh, from a national point of view. Uh, I do, as I said to you, one of the suggestions I would say is that the EPA, it, it's an organisation that's already in existence and it should be given uh, the discretionary powers and the legislation powers to uh, look at this um, issue and put a national coordinated approach uh, to tackle it and actually give give the legislators and give and give the the government state bodies the teeth to tackle this once and for all. I mean, there was a there, there was a lauded um, approach that in 2015 the new diesel market uh, would see a drop in it, and it did initially, but it now seems to be on the rise. On the rise, I mean, February of this year, costing like thirty two thousand euros in a month to clean up diesel sludge. It's yeah. a lot of money. There's no it's doubt. A lot of money. All it's right. A lot of money. We have to leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us, Emma Coffey, Fianna Fáil councillor in Louth. Now, as you've been hearing, uh, the Save Rathmullion Post Office campaign has been canvassing support uh, for the closed post office license uh, to be reallocated to a local shop owner. And Siobhan O'Brien uh, is a member of uh, the campaign committee. She's on the line. Siobhan, uh, you've uh, sent thirty five letters to the independent reviewer in support of your campaign it's 35 letters that we have accumulated so what we done was we went around door to door knocking we asked people if they weren't posting them themselves to send them into christy ranks we were going to do a press release based on that the amount of letters that was sent into christy to do that was 35 there was numerous other letters posted as well privately by the people there was nearly 900 signatures on a petition that was done both online and door-to-door knocking and left in with Christy Ryan. And then we don't know how many emails, obviously, were sent. OK, so obviously uh, the community are in support of the campaign and want uh, a post office to be available to them. Hugely. It's a big, big loss to the community. Like, going around door-to-door knocking, I got talking to a lot of people and the stories I was hearing, like, it's the inconvenience of it. The elderly people who have no transport are being left majorly isolated, put under severe strain for financial to get to, to Summer Hill to the post office. One woman I was speaking to, she went to the, she got a thing in the post. She had a registered letter. She went down to the Summerhill post office. 
They told her she couldn't get the letter until three o'clock and she had to go back. She said she was lucky that she drives, but if that was somebody who didn't and had paid for a taxi, what were they going to do? And are people generally using the post office? Because it's one of the things the Postmasters Union has been saying is that there's a lot of vocal support for post offices, but the same postmasters don't see people inside using them. Well, for Ratmaline, I think it's an exception to the rule because there is an awful lot of elderly there in Ratmaline. They are isolated. A lot of the numbers don't drive. Then the new estates and that there'd be a lot of people who wouldn't drive either that are in the position that need in the post office. Yes, there is uh, internet now. Yes, there is like, you know, you go to your bank and you go into trim there and that kind of thing. But you don't have internet in Rathmaline. It's a black hole area. You can't even get phone reception and they're expecting you to be able to do internet banking. Then for the elderly who haven't got the mindset to do internet banking, I don't think it's been very fair on them. You know, so, mm, so the nearest post office would be Summerhill, is it? Summerhill or yeah. Longwood or Trim. But right. you go into Trim, there's no parking. You leave the car for any minute over, and you're getting parking tickets. Is there a bus? No, there is. There is a CIE bus that runs through Ratmaline daily in the morning, but it's too early. Mm. Desi Holton does a daily service for the local link, but he's gone. He goes through Ratmaline at about twenty to ten, and he's not coming back through Ratmaline by four o'clock, half four. Mm. there's another bus company that does it through the local link PJ Tormey he does a Friday shopper service to Navin and um, another woman I was speaking to she was saying that they have to beat the bus back to Summerhill for the Friday shoppers that they always got to go to Navin on a Friday they have to beat the bus to Summerhill to get into the post office to get their money out so they're still essentially paying on a taxi and that's 20 quid 40 quid that she was paying on taxis in and out of Summerhill And what have pensioners been saying to you about collecting their pension are they getting taxis or how are they travelling? They're getting taxis or they're relying on family or you know neighbour support that kind of Mm. thing but like it's not convenient for them and I feel for them because like they're going into a deeper isolation the little bit of independence that keeps people going like that, you know, walking down to the post office, mm. going in and collecting their pension, having their little chat, crossing the road then, Christy Ryan, getting their bread, their butter, their milk and heading off home. Do you know, it's mm. that little bit of social integration that they're getting that's going to be taken away from them now and it's the panic of how am I going to get my money? How am I going to get back? Mm. How am I going to afford if I need a taxi this week? And Christy, no, Christy Ryan, uh, just for people listening to us, uh, owns the shop across the road from the post office. And, yeah, yeah. and he said he would like to take on some of the post office services. Yeah, he's open to that. He's in discussion with on post. Like that, though, with certain things, it's, you know, you're, you're fighting a battle the whole time trying to get the simplest of things. Like, there's a new housing estate being built in Ratmaline with over 70 houses, nine of them social housing, 20 already in progress with a further 70 applications in progress to go forward. Mm. It's, you know, and they're saying that the population is in 500. The population is not just Ratmaline Village. The population is taken in Kill, Brannockstown, Tramon, Castletown, Garadice, you know, up Larracor, every other area outside of that that expands broadly, Ratmaline is their source. Mm. And, and Christy Ryan, the services, uh, is he talking about stamps, uh, deliveries, passports, the pension, uh, that sort of thing? I'd say, he, I, I'd say he'd take on whatever he was given. Mm. But the most that he can take, like if he could take on 
the social welfare payments, the pensions, you know, the lodging yeah. of the money into the bank was a big thing that's missed in Ratmaline. And that it would require, to to trim. I take it that would require a significant investment for him because when there's cash like that, and God knows there's always post exactly. office robberies you're, you're, and all of that sort you're, you're, of thing. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah you would, you would. But like, but he, he, thinks, he thinks he can do that, yeah? He's, 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 he's open to it, so yeah. I don't think he'd be the person who would, I can't speak on his behalf, mm. but I don't mm. think he would take that on if it was a case that it wasn't a possibility. Mm. You know, but like you have to see what you're able to get before you can, you know. Mm. So uh, he is in talks with the post he office is, yeah. and the campaign, I suppose, in effect at this stage is in support of him in those talks. 100%, 100% behind him. Everyone is behind him. That whatever he can get, you know, to save everyone and to give them back their independence, give them back to the heart of the village. There's only a hairdresser's two pubs and Christy Ryan that's left in there. And looking forward, they won't be there much longer if you're sending everyone that's there out to Longwood, out to Summerhill and into Trim. They're going to be gone. And then, more than likely, the pubs will last. I'm not saying, but stereotypically, that will uh, bring along depression to go to the pubs and start drinking. Do you know, you're going down a dark route of a village that's going to be forgotten about. And where then is the people to support the people of Ratmaline when they need it? Mm. Where then is people there to... Like, there's a lot of young kids as well in Ratmaline. What's there for them? Um, You know, going forward when they grow up, where is that going to be like you need to keep everything in Ratmaline you need to keep the village there and you need to expand the village it is expanding you need to start putting stuff there for people to be able to avail of it and uh, I mean you're not going to find the kids in the post office uh, no but what I'm saying is keeping it there it's it's having a nucleus in the village so that there's a proper centre life there yes yes Right, okay. Uh, and that's. Rather than pushing everyone out to different villages and different towns and everything, keep it in Ratmaline and build up Ratmaline. It is being built up, but it's also been taken away from. And the resources that's been taken away from is the stuff that keeps the people coming through the village. You take away that, you're left with a heap of houses with a heap of people, kids growing up, elderly people being left isolated, and nothing for nobody. There's a hall there that can be utilised to great extremes if it was if it went that way. Okay, Siobhan, thanks for joining us uh, and uh, for talking to me this morning. Siobhan O'Brien, a member of uh, the Save Rathmaloyne Post Office campaign. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the decision to reduce parking charges in Drogheda from 120 to 1 euro an hour is of concern to Labour Party Councillor Paul Bell, who joins us now. Indeed, Paul Bell, the decision uh, to charge 4 euro an hour for on-street parking at Boyle O'Reilly and Wimbledon Road is also of concern to you. Absolutely, Michael. Well, look, there's been a long debate uh, about the issue of reducing car parking charges in general in Drogheda in line uh, with our sister town in in Dundalk. Uh, I've always maintained the position that uh, the charge should not have been changed and should not be changed uh, on the basis that there were a number of points of arguments that that were not being answered by those proposing the reduction in charge. And one was that, uh, in fact, where Dundalk has no free car parking and has no zoned parking, and by that what I mean is in areas like the North Strand and Drogheda and the Dublin Road, there is a small nominal charge for all-day parking where someone can park for €3 for the day or €2.50 for the day. 
Uh, and that issue was not being addressed in the, in the debate uh, by those proposing that the charge be reduced. Uh, and then secondly, on, on to this issue, we now have faced a situation whereby by trying to address an issue in Boyle O'Reilly and an issue in the Wimble Road uh, without concentration on the whole impact zone uh, caused by car parking for Our Lady of Lords Hospital, uh, we have no understanding of how we're going to address what I would regard as, as a fallout from those decisions. And your argument, I, I think, is uh, that you'd be mad in the head to pay €4 Euro an hour when you can go around the street and pay €1 Euro an hour. Well, not only that, uh, Michael, the deep, deepest concern is that on the North Road and in Bohor Brewer uh, and surrounding streets, there is no pay parking. Uh, parking is there for residents and, and, and all who come there is free of charge. I've re- already received calls from the, the community, uh, it, it, both in mm. both uh, the Bohor Brewer area and Harbman's Gardens area and indeed by O'Reilly about the impact that this decision would have. In other words, you'd be mad in the head to pay four euro an hour for parking parking when you can go around the corner and get it for free. Absolutely. And, and that has been an ongoing problem, uh, you know, at certain times where uh, maybe there will be a, a, an over volume of traffic in the area. And plus the fact that we have uh, two schools in the area which require uh, at certain times public transport uh, to bring children to and from school, as well as parents obviously driving their children to school. So there's a number of, of, of concerns about that. But the general issue has been is that it's been propagated that basically Dundalk had something different to Drogheda uh, and that was not correct and also really what really concerns me is that while I was working uh, with other councillors uh, to expand the free car parking in Drogheda both for people who work in the town and people who uh, also commute from the town both the car parks in Mel and on Donor Road uh, basically what's happened now is because of the impact on revenue council are advising that, that they intend to put those projects into cold storage uh, which, which is a missed opportunity because the free car parks uh, both in Mel and Donor Road are highly valued by those who use them and we did have an opportunity to expand expand that service at a cost. Uh, but, of course, the revenue in, uh, stream has now been impacted upon. So projects like that are, are actually going to have difficulties in progress. Well, well, that was a real proposal, wasn't it? Because, as you say, it had been costed. Uh, there's yes. Yes, it had been costed. I mean, I was a bit concerned about one of the costings, but nevertheless, it had been costed, uh, whereby uh, under the Nor Road, uh, the, the charge or the cost to the council creating another 90 to 100 spaces was approximately €127,000. Uh, the, the Mel car park uh, seemed to be more manageable, but that could have been around €50,000, €60,000. So a fair mm-hmm. amount of hard work was ongoing. And by the way, those proposals and those actual uh, considerations had come about not just because of my campaigning but also because of the uh, traffic workshops that councils were participating in. But at the end of the day, Michael, funds have to be raised to, uh, for that type of infrastructure. It just can't uh, be generated out of the normal budget of council. So mm. I, it is disappointing uh, and I'm not sure of how these matters are going to be addressed uh, especially in light of the fact that we do now have a position 
where car parking charges will be reduced and and fair and if that's the way people see it they'll fair enough but also those many uh, people have been contacting me about the fact because of the amount of commuters now travelling to Dublin and, and Dundalk and Belfast that the car park in Dunno Road in particular is now oversubscribed every morning and that is becoming a problem and, and, and it, it's just a result of the fact that uh, there's a lot of employment now being created a lot of people travelling a lot of people going into the, into the town to walk and it, I just feel for the overall common good that we should have maintained the cost of on-street parking as was in general. And I was talking to a, a man last week who was telling me uh, that his heating's on the blink and the council hasn't got the money to fix it uh, because uh, the maintenance grant has dried up uh, and, as I said to him, he's like a, a lot of other people uh, and that his dilemma is food for thought for the rest of us in terms of whether we want to reduce car parking charges like this or other revenue raising measures that the council has at its disposal. Well, well, Michael, while the, the budget for car parking and road traffic uh, would be a separate budget, there, there is a, a general theme in, in that commentary, and I did uh, listen with interest uh, uh, to that citizen discussing his situation. Uh, the, the, what the public need to understand, and sometimes councils you know, have a responsibility to inform the public, is that when you impact on a revenue stream, that passes on to the budget. The, 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 the estimates are due now before uh, the county councils on November 19th, uh, and because of a number of different issues, including central funding of local government, including the ability to raise rates and rents, and indeed revenue from car parking, there will be difficulties in passing a budget that will be able to take care of the citizens who require those services. Uh, and uh, the, I am trying to make the connection to the public, which says if you impact or reduce a revenue stream, that will be passed on to the community, to the services that we all depend on. And indeed, there is quite a lot of funding goes towards voluntary organisations, goes towards um, uh, services in the community, such as home repairs, such as uh, maintenance of, of the road network. And, and, and what has also been going on is that I actually believe strongly that in relation to the tenants, that's got the tenancy issue for social housing and maintenance, I actually strongly believe there's a breach of contract in that situation now because if somebody's paying their full rent and they're not in arrears then they are entitled to a certain service but at this stage as you can see quite rightly Loud County Council are stating when the budget becomes exhausted they will not be inclined to create an additional budget okay. unless there's revenue available from elsewhere Alright I'm over time I have to leave it there but thank you indeed for your thank time you, and for joining us here this morning Labour Party Councillor Paul Bell Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and lots of them coming in. Loads of comments. Hi, Michael. I drive a nine-seater car inclusive of driver's seat and I'm charged minibus prices. My vehicle is registered as a car and taxed as a car. That's in relation to the tolls, Michael. Tom from Drogheda, Deputy Fergus O'Dowd and all the other TDs in the area should be joining forces to fight the toll into Drogheda. It's an absolute disgrace and resulting in traffic congestion in the town that might not be there because motorists are avoiding the toll, says Tom. 
Um, Mairead from Drada says, cannot believe that nothing was done to get rid of the toll during the FLA. She says, if it was any other town in Ireland, Michael, it would have been gone, Mairead claims. Okay. Eric text in from Dundalk. Hi, Michael. Concerning the toll debate, are people expected to pay toll charges forever? When the cost of building the motorway, motorways has been reached, the toll charges should be scrapped. It does not make sense. Or is it fair to keep paying these charges? Well, I suppose if you want to use the road, uh, you can decide uh, to pay the charges or you can decide to take an alternative route. Deirdre says it's bad enough having to pay tolls without being overcharged for it. Mm, Well, it was a mistake, as uh, these reports have highlighted, uh, and uh, they believe uh, that those mistakes have since been rectified. Jerry also contacted us on the same topic and says, Michael, do our taxes not go towards building roads? And why should we be to- why should we have to pay tolls? Uh, because we don't pay enough in taxes. And these companies came along uh, under one of these PPPs and said mm. that they would build uh, the roads uh, and toll them. And uh, the uh, government uh, then uh, has uh, agreed to that as a way of getting motorways. Uh, another listener was in touch, um, Sarah, just to say that uh, even with tolls now, you're still getting a build up of traffic on our roads at mm. peak times. So it's not even beneficial anymore. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> there's a, a lot of truth. Nobody in all is of that. saying they really, really want to pay the tolls, Michael. Well, well, of course, nobody <laughs> wants to pay the tolls. Everybody wants the roads. Uh, and uh, I suppose what we were told was that this was the only way that the roads could be built. We didn't have the money to build them. So this was how it was to be done. And uh, for the people building the roads, uh, there had to be an alternative route. So that is the argument whether uh, you agree with it or, or not. Either use the road and pay the toll or don't use the road and take it. An alternative route. On post offices, if we can move to that one, Mm. um, we had uh, a phone call from a gentleman, didn't want to be named Michael, but says, I'm a current postmaster. On On post are reducing our wages to such a level that many more will be giving up very soon. Currently, they are proposing to remove €100 a week from our wages, about a 15% reduction. People are not using post offices. Some state services won't allow them to use the post office because they are using banks to get paid. The issue is much, much bigger than what that woman is saying uh, in the interview on post I feel is not prepared to pay postmasters what they should be getting paid we never got a lot but we could live on it but not anymore this is coming from a postmaster who wasn't offered redundancy Okay, thanks for that. Let's go to Sinn Féin Councillor Anne Campbell, who's on the telephone. Uh, And we're hearing this morning uh, that young children will be able to go to the minor injuries unit at uh, the Louth County Hospital. This is uh, children aged five. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Upwards. Yes, Michael, good morning. It's good news today in Dundalk because the um, minor injury unit at the Lyle County Hospital is going to treat children from the age of five and over. Um, up until yesterday, they were you would only get treated there if you were 14 years or over. Mm. Uh, and uh, obviously this will make a, a big difference for people who otherwise would have had to travel to Drogheda. Yes, Michael, I think it will. I think it will help alleviate some of the pressure on Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda, as well as the pressure on families of children who had up until now to, they had to drive past the minor injury units in uh, Dundalk to get to the unit in Drogheda. So it's good news for Dundalk. Okay, and uh, for the people who may use it, uh, I did hear you on the news uh, talking about protesting outside of the hospital and different things like that, which I took to be political points. Uh, I take it uh, you'd like to congratulate Peter Fitzpatrick for the work he's done on this and uh, how he lobbied Simon Harris and uh, announced this himself a couple of years ago? Yeah, it was a couple of years ago, actually, Michael, that it was first mooted. It was in August 2016, and it was meant to be open in August. It was meant to be open during 2017 and we're now in the third quarter of 2018 but it, it's long delayed uh, because of staffing and other issues. But, well of course these um, things aren't simple, it's easy to close down services very difficult to open them up again but uh, I suppose credit... It's easy credit- to announce them as well, it's easy to, to announce them you know I think in fairness to um, Minister Harris I don't think even he envisaged that it was going to take as long as it has But credit where it's due uh, I'm sure you'd agree, uh, does that lie with Peter Fitzpatrick? I think it lies with everybody who has been involved in the hospital campaigns over the years um, and it also lies with the, you know, that credit has to be given to the, the staff at the Louth County who have worked to make sure that this has happened. You're very reluctant, obviously, to recognise Peter Fitzpatrick's work in this. I said everybody who would be no, but um, I'm, involved I'm, but, in it. No, but you've mentioned everybody bar Peter Fitzpatrick. Yes, and, 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 and if, if, if Peter has, has worked on it, and I'm sure he has, then obviously... It's it's um, to his credit as well. All right, well, uh, undoubtedly uh, it, it'll be good for uh, the parents of young children and the children themselves. Thanks for joining us this morning, Sinn Féin Councillor Anne Campbell. Let's go back to more of your comments. Marie, what else have you got for us? Still on the post offices, and we had a text in from Christine Andrada who says, small post offices in rural areas are not viable. Nobody is using them. Young people in general don't use the post offices. They're gone to work from early morning to late in the evening to work, to pay mortgages, childcare, etc. The post office usually opens from 9 to 5.30. So where would they get the time to be using the post office? Mm. Uh, They do everything online 
That's the reality, I'm afraid, okay. says Christine. Uh, another listener got in touch to say that the post office in Ratmaline, like many other post offices in rural areas, is an integral part of the community and will be a huge loss. Can understand why people are rallying around to keep it open, but if they do manage to keep it open, then people need to be using it. Mm, well, that is the truth. Uh, Declan uh, also got in touch in relation to your interview there with uh, Councillor Paul Bell regarding parking and the implications of uh, the budget. Mm. Uh, there not being enough money. And Declan says that he would prefer to pay the extra 20 cents an hour for parking than to see local services being impacted on and thinks that our politicians need to be looking at the bigger picture and get away from parochial politics. Okay, I think that's probably the first call we've had from somebody who's asked uh, that the rate would remain at 120 uh, before the vote at the council level. I think a lot of people were in touch with us saying it's not fair and we should be paying what they're paying in Dundalk and bring down the charges. That's right. Have a kind of a level playing field, wasn't it? That the Mm. same charge would apply to both areas. Uh, Finally, Michael, if I can finish, we had an email and I can't read out the the email because it's three pages long but I can condense it a little bit from Liam just uh, in relation to pay restoration he's been listening to uh, I suppose the plight of the army personnel and feels that the defence forces should get an increase in their pay but he says also that after 10 years he thinks it's appropriate that HSE and public sector workers should also be allocated their full pay restoration he says if you take a little bit a little trip down memory lane in 2008, our salaries were reduced to pay off the banks that were on the brink of collapse because our banks threw good money after bad to developers that eventually uh, landed the whole country in negative equity and on the verge of collapse. He says maybe at the time it was acceptable and understandable that HSE workers and public sector be asked to take a pay cut and play their part in putting the country kind of back, uh, you know, in business, but feels that the time has come now for the pay restoration to be given to HSE workers and says, after all, uh, the TDs themselves have given themselves an increase. Mm, Yeah. So I can't go into all of that email, unfortunately, yeah, right. yeah, but that's well, just a few few God, highlights from well, it. He obviously had a, a lot on his mind. Uh, I'll read it in detail myself after the programme, but thanks uh, for the condensed version of it there, Marie, and indeed Liam uh, for taking the time to send it to us and everybody else who's been in touch with us for that matter. If you'd like to make comment on the programme, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 That's 1850 Marie and Maggie are taking calls this morning or you can text us on 086 1800 658 Michael Reed on LMFM Now as you have probably heard Sinn Féin is uh, to table a motion of no confidence in Owen Murphy as uh, the Minister for Housing We're joined uh, by local TD in Mead West Petter Tobey now to tell us why Good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us uh, It does seem somewhat futile in though in that regardless of the merits of your motion it looks set to fail. Well, first of all, Fine Gael's housing um, policies have failed. Um, there's no doubt about that. And actually, they're making things worse for many, many families. They've been in office for seven years. And during that time, homelessness has 
reached unprecedented, unprecedented levels. Um, in, in, in their first term in government, they actually slashed investment in social housing and affordable housing, and they cut the staffing levels in councils and departments, which is one of the reasons why we're, we're suffering so much at the moment. And under Owen Murphy, he's been minister for 15 months, we have seen homelessness increase by 25%. We've seen child homelessness increase by 34%. And we've seen pensioner homelessness increase by about 40%. Um, And social housing output for 2018 will actually be lower than in 2017. So it's clear that there's a, a radical failure with regards to government policies, and it's leading to a national crisis of massive proportions. And it's up to us as a, a opposition party to call timers, to say, we can't proceed the way we're going. We have to have a change of minister and a change of policy as well. And what will you achieve through this motion if, as I said, it is doomed to fail? Well, first of all, it doesn't necessarily have to be doomed to fail. There's a, there's a, obviously, Fianna Fáil have made a choice on this. I would again appeal to the, the Fianna Fáil TDs around the country. They must be um, inundated in their offices in the same manner that I'm inundated in my offices, you know, from people who are paying rents that are sky high. Right now we're talking about rents that are above the Catholic Tiger peak levels in, in certain areas. Well, they are, and Fine Gael TDs are as well, but you've heard uh, the stock reply from Fianna Fáil and motions don't build houses. Well, it- there's no motion in Fianna Fáil's activity in this at all, and that's the truth of the matter. Fianna Fáil, unfortunately, have wedded themselves as a junior partner in a coalition government with Fianna Gael. And as a result, I, I, I imagine despite their own um, analysis on this, they're forced by their leader, Micheál Martin, to support the Fianna Gael government. But like, we, we can't just say, because Fianna Fáil have taken the wrong decision in this, that we're just going to sit idly by in the sidelines it is up to us to create as much political pressure as we can to see can we push Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael into making the right decisions. Okay. You know, like, it, well, it, it, I just have to, uh, for the uh, sake of accuracy, uh, mention that it is, of course, not a, a coalition government and uh, that they're not uh, party of, to the government and that they are facilitating a minority government uh, through this confidence and supply agreement. It just saves us a lot yeah, of no, hassle. It's not officially yeah. if, a, if, if a we coalition get, if, government, if we get the there's phone no doubt that obviously Fine yeah. policies mm-hmm. are operating on the basis of Fianna Fáil support. And there's no doubt in my mind as yeah. well, when you talk to Fianna Fáilers and Fianna Fáil members around the country, that they're actually livid and furious at this. And this is one of the reasons but, why... But in turmoil they, have, they, they have this confidence and supply agreement. And under that agreement, if they vote against a minister, if they vote in favour of this motion, which says there's no confidence in the minister, uh, well, then that ends the confidence and supply agreement and ultimately means a snap election. Well, I, unfortunately, um, I think Leo Varadkar has Fianna Fáil over a barrel at the moment. In the, in the last number but of But you're trying to put them over a barrel. No, aren't you? like you're, in, you're in the end of the day, just, uh, Leo Varadkar in the last number of weeks basically played chicken with Micheál Martin with regards an election. And the, the outcome of this motion... Wasn't it Sinn Féin who were playing chicken in May? No, but the outcome... The, in first May, of all, first in, of all, no. in, in May, you may have got the support of Fianna Fáil. I don't think anybody would have said that you wouldn't with as much certainty as they do now, and you decided you wanted to have the abortion referendum. Well, 
at that stage, uh, Owen Murphy wasn't in the um, the position for the length of time that he's in now. He's 15 months well, as minister, that, that, and logic would dictate uh, that you would anybody, actually anybody. allow a minister an opportunity to. to ah, no, no, that's no, that's that that's that's, so. that 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 that's that's just untrue, uh, because in May Sinn Fein were talking of tabling a motion, Owen Murphy said, or Owen O'Brien said he had no confidence in Owen Murphy and that he would wait to see. And then he said he was going to put it off because of the abortion referendum. He said it very clearly. There's no disputing that. But there was also the argument as well, in fairness, Michael, that the Owen Murphy was at that stage just 12 months within uh, government. And we felt that it was less likely for us to be able to bring Fianna Fáil over the line, given the fact that they could make the uh, argument that Owen Murphy is only in a wet weekend. Okay, well, I was he, making the, the opposite argument to you there, but, but, but just, uh, that's uh, the opposite to the argument I was making to you a moment ago, that I think a lot of people thought maybe you'd have brought Fianna Fáil over the line last May, and you won't now. Well, listen, if we, if we couldn't bring Fianna Fáil over the line after 15 months of Owen Murphy being Minister for Housing, under and during that period of time between May and October, the, the situation getting worse, we wouldn't have brought Fianna Fáil over the line back in, in May. And the truth of the matter is, the outcome of the scenario that you stated initially doesn't have to be that way. It, it isn't necessarily a case that if we propose a motion of no confidence and Fianna Fáil supporters, that it necessarily means a general election. If there was an equal balance in the relationship between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, there would be some understanding within uh, Fianna Gael that they should be able to, you know, allow for their minister to be lost in such a circumstance and change policy. But Fianna Fáil have and, made and a commitment. We're talking about process here and sometimes we get lost in process. Ah, the, well, but no. the key issue is policy here and policy yeah. mightn't just make for very interesting discussions on, uh, on these issues. Well, I think but they do. I think, I think, it does. I think we often talk about policy all of the time, but what we're talking about here is an agreement between the two parties. Uh, and it's not that Fianna Fáil can't vote uh, in favour of the Sinn Féin motion against the minister, but under this agreement, they won't do that. So no, if, if, if they if do Fianna it, Fáil, the, the if, agreement, but, 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 the, the, it rips, here, Michael, it rips the, the agreement up. It's, it's, it's important to be accurate here. There is another uh, situation that could arise. Fianna Fáil could very easily say that we, that they are supportive of the Sinn Féin motion of no confidence. And in that scenario, say, listen, for, if you want this government to continue, it's important for Fine Gael, first of all, to put Owen Murphy aside and to change policy. And it's the change of policy that is a radical, important issue here. Well, that's, for, like, right that's now, Fine Gael have a policy that's of a increasing house prices around the country. That is a different agreement. In, in, well, it would be the working of the agreements that Fianna Gael would actually respect the Fianna Fáil support. Fianna Gael are taking the Fianna Fáil support for granted at the moment, and they're running Fianna Fáil into the ground. Probably. And until that day yeah. that Fianna Fáil actually stands up for whatever it believes in mm. at the moment in time, Fianna Fáil is going to see its poll numbers reduce. But the, the key point in this is the average house prices in Meath are about €260,000. That means under the, the, the central bank's rules, you have to earn €75,000 a year in Mead to be able to afford a house. Mm. Now, that is an injustice, and it's radically pushing people into either homelessness or the rental sector. And in the rental sector, the average rent now in Mead is €1,200 Euros a month, and it's increasing it's increasing by probably the third or fourth highest speed in the country at the moment. 
And if we don't get to grips with this, if we, and, 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 and during all this time, there's about 180,000 vacant houses in the country. And there's also developers who are sitting on vacant sites not, with no plans to actually develop those sites because yep. those sites are actually increasing in value as they sit on them. Mm. They are incentivized to sit and do nothing on those sites. And, and, and at the moment, there is a vacant site tax in Meath, but won't be implemented till about 2020, because very few of the developers are actually on that register at the moment. So we're saying that how can we let this national crisis continue and still just let the business go on as usual. We have to call yeah. a spade a spade, well, and we have to call time on this government's minister and their policy. Well, I, I mean, there's a, a lot of truth in what you said. The Fine Gael argument, obviously, is that they're working on it, it's a priority, they're funding it uh, to beat the band, and you have to allow them time. Fianna Fáil uh, is facilitating this government and has an agreement that they won't vote against the minister. But just to add to what you said, because you mentioned uh, vacant properties, there's a, a scheme in place uh, to turn them into housing units for local authority tenants uh, and uh, that the government would pay for the refurbishment of them for the landlord and the Irish Times is reporting today that the plan had hoped to deliver three and a half thousand social homes uh, and over the last two years has managed to deliver 15. Exactly. The, the, the government has put in about three or four different um, uh, schemes in which they, were, they stated that they would bring homes back into use, especially those that are vacant. And they, the figures so far are in double figures. And in total, they have brought right across the country in their government for the last seven years, only 500 homes in total back into use, even though it's estimated that there are 180,000 vacant homes in the state. And, you know, that itself, like mm-hmm. if people go to towns and villages across the country, they will go through the, the, the streets and they will see that so many of the buildings are actually empty. And it's an absolute injustice. Mm. They we said, that, they, said in, they would give landlords €40,000. Uh, it was an incredible offer, really. Uh, and they would guarantee that their houses would be rented out for them for 10 years. Guaranteed income, guaranteed rent. Uh, and uh, otherwise they'd be lying there idle uh, in need of refurbishment and the cost involved. Uh, and of the target of 3500 they're short 3,485. They've only delivered 15. It's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. And we had the Minister, Damien English, and the Minister, Owen Murphy, in the Dáil, saying that these were attractive solutions. And how would there be an attractive solution if only um, just over 1% of the people who have been offered the solution are going to accept the solution? And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the government fiddle around the edges of the crisis rather than radically... Uh, attack the crisis itself. And, and to be honest, and this is at the heart of the issue. I stood in front of uh, Michael Noonan in a committee a number of years ago, and I said to Michael Noonan, expecting him to contradict me, that at the heart of Fine Gael's policy to, to, to increase the supply of housing to the system was to see the house prices of the country increase. And Michael Noonan at that stage said, yes, that is the truth. And I've said that a number of times in the Dáil, and ministers haven't contradicted me at all. They, at the heart of their policy is to see prices increase. And, you know, it, it, it breaks my heart because I've, so many uh, clinics I spend, it's families coming in who just literally can't get a roof, can't get 
rents can't get a mortgage and that's going to increase into the future unless the government tackle it and the way they tackle it is they need to seriously increase the level of investment into social housing and in affordable housing they also need to put a a freeze on rents in this country and and if if they don't put a freeze in rent in the country we're still going to see a flow of people coming from the private rental sector into uh, the homeless sector and they need to make sure that vacant homes and vacant uh, lands are not only incentivized by the schemes that you mentioned where money is provided uh, to, to, home, to landlords to get them into circulation, but you also need a bit of a stick as well. You also need to tell landlords and uh, developers that if they sit on those vacant properties or those vacant lands, it'll actually cost them money to do it. So that, that in my mind, would be a massive incentive for people to bring um, these homes uh, and these blocks of land onto the onto the market and get them developed ASAP. Okay. Well, more in the Sinn Féin motion, and uh, that's tabled for tomorrow evening. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Peter Tobin is a TD in Mead West. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's talk to journalist uh, Michael O'Toole, uh, one of uh, the most respected uh, crime correspondents in uh, the country, reporting every day for the Irish Daily Star. Michael, good morning to you and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, you saw an awful photograph of yourself on the internet. Tell us about it, please, if you would. Yeah, it was, I think it was last Wednesday. I was at home and a colleague of mine, Paul Healy, sent me a screen grab from a Twitter account. I'm on Twitter. Uh, and it's a fantastic uh, resource for any journalist. And it's a very, it's largely very enjoyable uh, app. I must say, I really, really enjoy using it. I've got an awful lot out of it over. I've been on it for about ten years. But on Wednesday night, uh, Paul sent me a screen grab of an account that I had muted. You, you, journalists get an awful lot of grief, and you tend to mute or block accounts that just get stuck into. Anyway, one of these accounts I'd muted. I put up a picture of a coffin and had superimposed an open coffin and had superimposed my face in the coffin. So in other words, they were putting uh, that I was effectively dead and was putting my picture in the coffin. So it was, it was quite unsettling. And then he sent me a couple of other screen grabs. And your, your listeners will know about this Kenan Hutch feud that has been going on in Dublin since well. 2015 was the first murder in it. Up to 18 men have been killed. And one of the aspects of that is there's really a social media war going on at the minute. Some supporters of the Kinnahans are on Twitter and some supporters of the Hutches are on Twitter and they're running their anonymous accounts and they're all making allegations and all this sort of thing. And it's, it's, it's very interesting mm. to watch from the outside. But uh, the person who posted the picture of me in the coffin also started alleging that I had been running secret accounts on behalf of the Kinnahan cartel. Now, as a crime reporter, that yeah. caused me serious concern because, you know, people can see that and a lot of criminals and gangsters would follow these accounts. So you didn't really want to be associated with false accounts. So both those issues caused me, one was personally upsetting, but I thought the other one placed me, the other allegations, certainly for me, they placed me, in, uh, I considered at risk uh, from criminals. Mm. So there is facility on Twitter where you can report tweets. I haven't really done it before for myself. I think I've done it in relation to other people. So I decided to report these tweets. So you, there's a process you do. You have to click report, and then you go, you go three or four three or four hoops. And uh, and then at the last stages, there's a little box where you can write what your concerns are. So uh, I wrote in relation to the tweets, that said, look, I'm a crime reporter. I write about serious gangland criminality. These are making allegations that I'm working for one side of a very, very dangerous crime gang and I think they're putting me at risk. Yes. So 
uh, you press the button and you send it and then you get within a minute you get a notification from Twitter so I got two notifications one about the tweets and one about the actual picture of me in a coffin and that was at 22.21 so 21 minutes past 10 on Wednesday at 29 minutes past 10 I got two responses from Twitter saying look we've, we've carefully uh, evaluated your concerns and we decided that none of the tweets go against Twitter's terms of use okay. so I because the first responses uh, I gather were automated acknowledgements, were they? Yeah, within a minute. You just started yeah. to Okay. Acknowledge. But the actual response from a human being, if you like, was within 10 minutes, was it? Uh, eight minutes. Now, eight minutes, yeah. I actually thought, because I've been aware of the whole thing about reporting, I thought that there was a sort of like a bot or a computer program that looked at your at, at the tweets, because obviously they get, I'm sure they get a huge outturn of complaints every single night. Millions, but my yeah. investigations lead me to believe that somebody actually did look at those tweets and decided that they were fine. So that caused me a lot of concern. So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sure a man who's been on your show, I'm sure a lot of times, Colin McGorman from Amnesty International, mm. the week previous, there had been really, really, really vile allegations put up about him on Twitter. And he reported them, and nothing, exactly the same thing happened. So he screen-grabbed them, he took a copy of them, and he tweeted them himself, just to sort of shame Twitter into doing something. And there was a bit of a fury about it. So I decided, unhappily and unwillingly, I have to say, I decided to do the same thing. So within half an hour, uh, the tweets were taken down, and there was a bit of a, a tweet storm about it. So it just struck me that Twitter respond, didn't respond to my genuine concerns. They responded when I tweeted about it, and they, it got a bit of uh, traction, I suppose, on Twitter. And I found that very unsatisfying. Because of bad publicity? Yeah, and, you know, look, I, I have 17,500 followers on Twitter, and, but I'm, I, I wouldn't consider myself a public figure. I'm, hmm. I'm in the public eye, but I'm a journalist. I'm not, you know, I'm not like Pat Kenny or Vincent Brown or anything like that. I'm just a hack of going, do my work, like I'm home. I don't go on TV. I don't really do all that sort of stuff. I, I try and keep a low profile, right? So when I tweeted this, I, I, I was unwilling to do it because I thought that was an, a slight abuse of my position as a journalist. So in other words, if some man from RD or some woman from RD is getting exactly the same grief, they should be able to go to Twitter and complain and it should be dealt with seriously and they should not, it should not be them having to tweet about this. It should be dealt with privately between Twitter and yourself. So I had to go and do it publicly and I thought that was very unsatisfactory because we shouldn't have to do this. Twitter should be looking mm. after this themselves. Okay, uh, you're very modest in how you describe yourself. Uh, I think a, a lot of people would respect your work as a, a journalist and I think there's a lot of people who would shy away from doing the type of work that you do because, as you say, you're reporting on gangland crime and criminality and the people involved in it who are quite often dangerous themselves. But uh, regardless of how you describe yourself, I, I, I would imagine it's true to say that you're a journalist who likes to write about the story rather than be the story. I mean, that's, that's one thing we're taught at journalism school, isn't it? We're not supposed to be the story. That, the story, the important people are the people that we write about. I try and, you know, have a sort of blank canvas. I, I, okay, I, I do go on Twitter and I, I suppose I do talk a lot of nonsense and things, but I, I break a lot of stories on Twitter. I, I try to inform people who follow me about what's happening in gangland Ireland and in matters. I read about gangland, I read about ordinary crime and I read about defence. So there are three areas that mm. I'm very interested in. I, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself one of these celebrity reporters. We all know there are celebrity reporters. That's about it. I just try, try and go and, and do my work. I can walk down the street and I don't think anybody knows, you know, no, nobody would know who I am really. I, they might know the voice, they might know the name, but they wouldn't know me. So that's the way I like it. But what about the threat? Well, I've had real threats. Last year, uh, there was a, a matter of personal security for me, and that made me so concerned because uh, that's a real-life threat, and Guardi had to be involved in that. That is a, an occupational hazard 
for most crime journalists. I think most crime journalists had that. That threat was, uh, without saying too much, that real threat, shall we say, or the physical threat, was in relation to the Kin and Hutch feud. It was someone on the uh, with connections to the Hutch site. So this, these tweets the other day were saying that I was working for the Kinnahan. So somebody on the Hutch side could have seen that and it, there could have been more hassle for me. So that, that, mm. that did cause me concern. And I was just very upset in the fact that people thought it was okay that they could put up a a picture of me in a coffin. Well, you get all sorts of agents on the internet, and, and I suppose that's one of the downsides of what is quite ordinarily a wonderful thing. But uh, because there's no regulation or control, people can do that. Some people would find that funny. God love them, but they would, so they do it because there's no n- nothing to stop them. Uh, but I- I- is that the type of nonsense we're talking about here, or is it something more disturbing that you are being threatened and that that was a, a mafioso type of message by placing you in a coffin like that? The, the, we, I don't know because yeah. the, uh, the account was called Gangland Murder and I'd been aware of it for quite a while. It, as I said, there are plenty of criminals and people w- with knowledge of gangland crime who, who tweet anonymously and this was one of those accounts. So they, 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 they sort of had some Looking at it from the outside, they had some knowledge. Now, they may have picked that up from others. I don't know because it, it's a secret account. So it, it, I'll put it this way. It did cause me to it caused, did cause me to take pause because you don't mm. know what is behind the secrecy and what is behind the anonymity. And have you brought this to the attention of the Gardaí or is there any point? I, I don't know if there's any point. I don't mm. know if I want to go down that road. I've had, I've had unfortunately, I have had, a, had uh, talked to Gardaí and it's been brilliant. I, you sort of think, do you want to be a pain in the, in the neck and do you want to and there's, li- there's very little they can do anyway, I think, Michael. I mean, you know, when you talk about personal security, they talk about driving around roundabouts if you think you're being followed to make sure that the car goes off while you're going around in circles and things like that. Oh, I, I, I've had um, crime prevention officers at the house and I've been given all that sort of stuff. And, mm. uh, you know, my car, for example, is registered to work. So if anybody got my licence number, it, it's a work. Mm. Number address. So, oh, there, there are plenty of you know there's security around the house and all that sort of stuff, and CCTV cameras and panic alarms and stuff. That's most crime reporters uh, would have that. A lot of guards have it as well. People don't realise. I mean, because we don't really shout it from the rooftops, but there have been quite serious incidents and threats against journalists and against guards. I mean, and there's a guard uh, in, working in central Dublin uh, who has had serious problems. Acid was thrown at him. Uh, as he sat in his car a few weeks ago and that's, a, that's not Ken and, Ken and the Hutch connect. that's a, a foreign crime guy but they're very very serious people so words have consequences I, free speech uh, most of the time mm. on Twitter I go by this sort of motto you can say what you want you have the right to say what you want I have the right not to hear it so what I do is I usually mute people so that means that I'm not I don't block them mm. they can call me all the names they want I don't get to hear it they've got that right I've got the right not to hear it and that's no problem but there are I suppose there is a line, and I considered a picture of me in a coffin cross. The line. And, and am I right in thinking that part of what makes up that line is other people, your family, uh, first and foremost? Uh, because it's one thing people saying things about you or putting photographs up about you, but uh, whilst that might upset you, you may be able to live with it. But the idea of a photograph like that on the internet could be very upsetting for other people, well, uh, particularly yeah. family arms. And then if you're being threatened, you have to ask yourself, I'm sure, if that threat extends to your family. Well, yeah, I mean, thankfully my wife isn't on Twitter, I suppose if she was, she would only last five minutes with it. And look, I mean, <laughs> yeah. the abuse I get is, yeah, yeah. is quite tame compared to, say, what, as I said, Colin McGowan or others 
get. So that that's no problem. She doesn't do Twitter. My 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 siblings do, and I we were doing a story about it in the Star and stuff. So I had to tell them about it. So they get very upset about it because you know they've all got busy lives and they wouldn't see it as much. But when I told and I showed it to them, they're all very upset. But that, that's not in life. There is a process, I suppose, nowadays where people can say what they want. Uh, I don't want to call them keyboard warriors, but that's you know that's what they are. And they just think they can do what they want. So all right, no. it was more. I'll be honest, Michael. It was mm. more. I can't stop people being idiots. But you would expect somebody like Twitter to act mm. responsibly, and that's what was really disappointing. Indeed, and uh, I think that probably is the message we hear an awful lot of talk about social media and uh, how they're monitored and regulated and uh, that the controls are lacking. Uh, But this puts it into a a different perspective uh, because, uh, as we've been discussing, uh, there's the potential for danger and uh, risk to you personally. Michael, many thanks uh, for joining us though this morning. Thank you indeed. Michael O'Toole, crime correspondent with the Irish Daily Star. Michael Reed on LMFM. Most people will be aware to some degree of uh, the public health alcohol bill. This will see the introduction of minimum pricing of alcohol and the segregation of alcohol in shops and so on. We should be uh, aware of uh, the legislation because it's been going through the Rockers over the course of uh, the last three years. It goes to report in final stages uh, this week and it's far from over the line with concerns that a number of amendments may stop or delay this bill, particularly in relation uh, to uh, the labelling that uh, the legislation would require, which would link alcohol to cancer. And the Irish Cancer Society is calling on uh, the government uh, to stand firm over this proposal. We're joined by Paul Gordon, who is uh, the Policy and Public Affairs Manager with the Irish Cancer Society. Paul, good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us. Is, is, Is there a definitive link between alcohol and cancer? Uh, there is, and, and that's, that's long established. The International Agency uh, for Research on Cancer uh, published uh, a memorandum back in 1987 um, which, which established a clear link. Uh, it's, it's a group 1 uh, carcinogen, which means that it is uh, carcinogenic to humans, um, and, and, and it's something that is, it's, not, uh, it's not necessarily well known, well known in the public, um, a recent study by the Healthy Ireland programme showed that only one in four people uh, were aware of the increased risk of, of. And how increased is the risk? If uh, we didn't drink alcohol, if nobody drank alcohol, uh, what difference would it make in terms of cancer prevalence? Well, there are six or seven uh, cancers that are, are specifically related uh, to alcohol. Um, and if we look at, and those, those cancers are ones that are particularly, uh, often particularly nasty, often harder to treat, often diagnosed a bit later. Uh, so people with alcohol-related cancers are actually 50, 50% uh, more likely to die than people with other cancers. Um, so if we look at things like esophageal cancers, so that will be cancer of the gut, uh, heavy drinkers' risk is about five times higher than that of non-drinkers, um, and it's four times higher than that of light drinkers. Uh, moderate drinkers' risk of esophageal cancer is over twice that of non-drinkers. Um, and as I said, these cancers uh, are, are particularly nasty. They often involve mm-hmm. invasive treatment. Those people have a lower quality of life and poor chance of survival. Um, and, and, and as we know, there are 900 people uh, 
a year diagnosed with alcohol-related cancers in Ireland and rising. Uh, there's five, 500 people a year die from alcohol-related cancers a year, and that is rising. That That's from a study in 2014, and we can expect that as the population grows, um, the, that, does that, the, that number will continue to increase. Does that mean, though, Paul, that uh, if uh, you develop cancer survival, is lower if you're a drinker and the outcome is poorer if you're a drinker? Uh, Or does it mean that drinking will cause these cancers? Well, drinking is specifically linked to those cancers and it does cause those cancers. Uh, So there are six or seven, including breast cancer, bowel cancer, uh, esophageal cancer, Mm. throat cancer, head and neck cancers, uh, which there's all a very strong link uh, between between drinking and those cancers, and people who who get those alcohol-related cancers are do have uh, generally poorer outcomes. Okay, I was talking to one of uh, the TDs uh, who have uh, tabled uh, amendments. I think there's 13 TDs uh, in relation to the labelling, but one of them, Declan Branagh, a Fianna Fáil TD in Louth, uh, and he was saying, well, like. Why would we put labels on something that might cause cancer and might not cause cancer? He said, for example, if you look at at motor cars, we know they give off terrible emissions and they can be carcinogenic. So should we be putting labels on motor cars? Uh, Is it not the same argument? It's not the same argument. It doesn't... doesn't, it does. It does cause cancer, uh, but you could you could equally say that pe- everyone, not everyone who smokes, gets cancer, and we we have cancer labels on cigarettes. And I don't think many people in this country would argue uh, about the removal of uh, warning labels on cigarettes. Okay, but uh, I mean, what about the motor cars argument? Should we be putting labels on them as well? Well, I mean, it's a significantly it's a, it's a, it's, a dif- it's a different risk. Uh, we know that there's there's nine hundred people a year who are diagnosed with alcohol related cancers, and I. The, the, the link between uh, cancer and uh, motor cars is, is mm. significantly lower. But he, he was so saying this obviously in the context that we'd be the first country in the world to introduce this type of labelling. Uh, well, there is labelling in uh, Korea already on, uh, on on cancer and alcohol, along with a number of other risk factors. Um, there are a number of other countries around the world that do have uh, labels already. Uh, a state in Canada already introduced uh, cancer labelling, in fact, earlier this year. Uh, so we wouldn't be the first, we will be the first in Europe, um, and, and we certainly would see it as, as a positive change that would, um, in, in effect, allow uh, alcohol consumers to make an informed choice, because currently the link isn't that well known. Um, as I said, only only one of four women are aware of the increased risk of breast cancer, for example. Um, and there there is strong support for for measures um, mm. around alcohol labelling. The Health Research Board undertook a study recently, uh, which said about ninety five percent of people were in favour of um, health warnings on labels, and those those labels have to be effective so that they they show scientific. Uh, factual information that allow people to make an informed choice um, as to as to their consumption and as to their level of consumption. Okay, well, I suppose you could argue as well that it's a little bit like that old argument about, well, I might as well smoke because I could walk out under a, a bus. You'd hope that you don't, uh, but if you're smoking, you're uh, at risk. And I suppose uh, the message in particular this week, which is Cancer Week 2018, is for people uh, to do anything that they can to avoid developing cancer. Tell us a, a little bit about what's planned this week. 
Uh, well, this week, Cancer Week um, is is a is a national week, a start a national conversation about cancer. Um, so it's running all week this week. There's a number of conferences, lectures, uh, school events, office workplace events, uh, and training workshops going on around the country, and people can find out information on, on, on any of those events, uh, particularly in their locality on cancerweek.ie. And the Cancer Society saying the objective uh, this week is to address some of the myths, and there's many myths uh, about cancer. Oh, I'm sorry. I think the line must have dropped out on us there. Apologies for that. Uh, And uh, thanks uh, to Paul Gordon, uh, the Policy and Public Affairs Manager with uh, the Irish Cancer Society. Uh, Just a a minute or two left uh, before we finish up, uh, and uh, we'll do that by going back to some more of your comments. Maria is back in the studio with me. I am indeed, Michael. On the pay parking issue, Mags text in to say, look what it's done to Kells. She feels that it's now become a ghost town and feels that when you have uh, the pay parking it can push people to go to the bigger shopping centres out of their own local area. Uh, another, Siobhan wants to know why there seems to be what she perceives as a sudden shortage in funding in Louds County Council. She says, is there more repairs at homes, ne- two homes needed now than there was in previous years? Is that the reason that the money has run out? Sean from Dundalk says, Michael, you seem to think that tolls are acceptable. You wouldn't be saying that if you had to pay them to get to and from work every day. It's a significant chunk of your money on top of other expenses. Denise says, Michael, I don't see why parking in Drogheda and Dundalk shouldn't be the same. Either have it one euro in both places or one twenty in both places. It makes sense to have it the same throughout the county. Uh, Rose says, uh, now they're looking at raising parking prices in Dundalk to suit Drogheda. Dundalk was supposed to get city status and now it's looking like Drogheda will get it before we do. Rose just wants to tell the councillors from Drogheda to get off Dundalk's back and give them a break. They are going to bury the town altogether if they continue with what they are doing. So all there right. you go. I think we'll all be very old people if we're still here by the time either of the towns be- becomes cities. Uh, but we leave it there for the moment. And thanks uh, for that, Marie. Thanks everybody who's been in touch. That has to be the final word on our programme today. Our time has run out on us once again. There'll be a podcast available on our website, lmfm.ie, this afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Marie in the control term. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. FM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie